You're listening to an audio sermon from Redemption Church in Red Deer, Alberta. We exist to see lost people saved, saved people matured, and mature people multiplied, all to the glory of God. For more information about our church, visit us online at redemptionreddeer.ca. We're starting a new series here uh, today called Simply the Gospel According to Luke. I like, as, you're, as I'm studying it, as I'm reading it, I'm like, I don't want to try to even come up with something other than that. This, that's what we're going to be in. We're going to be in the gospel. We'll be in there for quite some time, God willing. There'll be breaks in between. Um, it's going to be a journey going through the gospel. Uh, but I pray it's going to be a transformative one. And in fact, I, I, I would like, I would guarantee it is, if you have the Spirit of God in you, Going through God's Word, it transforms us. Uh, but, I, but I pray also, and I hope that this Word this morning can be an encouragement to why I think it will be a transformative walk through the Gospel, is because we can trust that this is true. What do you know to be true? And where can you turn to find truth? We live in a day of uh, mistrust, in a time where lies are really everywhere, how do you know what is certain and what to trust? Of course, there's that old adage, the only thing that is certain is death and taxes. And, uh, and if you die, you'll, still, you'll have to pay your taxes. They will come and get your money. But you just think of the, some of the things, I was thinking, like, what are the other things that I can try to hope in that I think is certain? Sometimes, uh, for those of us who like to watch sports, we can, like, maybe put hope in our team, but it's so uncertain. I remember uh, last year, uh, last September, I was watching the Blue Jays. They were in the second game of uh, three-game elimination, down one. Too many details, I know. But uh, they, were, they were up 8-1, and I was with my family. We were swimming at the Collicut Center, and I told my son, who's a Blue Jays fan, they got it. No problem. And we went home and watched them absolutely drop the ball, <laughs> actually figuratively and literally, and, uh, and they lost 9-8. And I was like, good, Judah, this is good. Don't hope in sports teams. No, really, right? Like, you cannot put your hope there. so uncertain. Like, cheer, don't let it get close to your heart. It doesn't really matter. Don't put our hope in riches, in our money. We, we're experiencing that with inflation. You have, I got my money in the bank, but it keeps losing its value as we speak. Or you can have it in a certain stock, and you're like, yes, it's doing good today. The next day it drops. Don't hope in riches. Also, like, don't hope in people. We're, we're all broken. We'll, we will let each other down, unfortunately. That's just, that's the way it is. I wish it wasn't, but we can't hope really in, in people. Of course, you'll see the, the message is, is we need to be hope in God. We need to hope in that which is certain. So the goal of this message is uh, there's like a spectrum where people are at in terms of like doubt on one hand and, and trust on the other. And I hope that this message can move people wherever they're at in doubting towards a greater degree of trust in the Lord, in His Word, in what He has said. And, and so that really is the point of this book and this message. I want us to grow in certainty. And so you'll, if you'll stand with me, let's read God's Word together. Just the introduction here of Luke We'll be looking at Luke 1, 1 to 4. 
Inasmuch as many have undertaken to compile a narrative of the things that have been accomplished among us, just as those who are from the beginning were eyewitnesses and ministers of the word have delivered them to us, it seemed good to me also, having followed all things closely for some time past, to write an orderly account for you, most excellent Theophilus, that you may have certainty concerning the things you have been taught. May God bless his word to our souls this morning. You can have a seat. I've titled this message, Rock Solid Certainty, and I pray that it would be so in our hearts. Let me pray again as we continue here this morning. Oh Lord, uh, with excitement and even with fear and trembling, I start the Gospel of Luke. Lord, I, I just, I know you want to do so much in each of our lives individually, as a church corporately, and however the length of time is that it takes to go through this book, I pray you would make us more like Jesus through it. I pray, though, that as I, as I speak this morning, Lord, you give me clarity of not only thought and speech, I pray you give me boldness, not my own, but from you. And I pray, oh God, give us open ears and open hearts to what you'd have to speak to us through your word. I pray, Lord, uh, that wherever the doubts are that we'd have, wherever the things that we have that we're, we're maybe not trusting in you. I pray you would crush that. I pray you would give us greater faith, greater trust, greater certainty in your word and in you uh, through this word by your spirit. Only you can do that, Lord. We pray that you would uh, for your glory and honor. And I pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. Again, so I've titled this message, Rock Solid Certainty. Since we are starting a new series here in Luke, I just want to do a little bit of like background uh, dating and such. And so again, the title of the gospel according to Luke. So who wrote the book? Well, Luke wrote the book. And uh, interesting, like there's a lot of like liberal scholars and they'll always be like, no, he didn't actually write it. It was written way later. But there isn't as much about that with Luke, which is interesting. So we have in Colossians 4.14, Luke was with Paul. I'll be referencing that. And in Colossians 4.14, Paul refers to Luke, the beloved physician, greets you. So we get like Luke was a doctor in that time. He was a non-apostle, and so most of the writings of the New Testament are written by an apostle, someone who was with Jesus since the beginning of his baptism, his death, burial, resurrection, witnesses of that. But Luke wasn't. And he seemingly, he was a, a Gentile as well, a non-Jewish writer, which would be the only one even within the Bible, actually. Uh, so that's very interesting, but no one has really questioned uh, Luke's authorship. Even in the uh, second century, uh, ancient church father Irenaeus, talking about all the writings, he said Luke, a companion of Paul, recorded in a book the gospel preached by him, and then he mentions the other gospel writers as well. So many other early church fathers also referred to Luke, so we know Luke wrote this. Uh, we would trust that anyways. I'm just giving you this background. When did he write it? This is just maybe something interesting. I'd say he wrote the gospel around 60 to 61 uh, AD. So think not too long after Jesus was crucified. We're going to get into that, but um, just over 30 years. And the reason we can think of that date is because in Acts, because Luke wrote the gospel of Luke and the book of Acts, and the book of Acts is a historical account of the early church, uh, the death of James, Jesus' brother, is never mentioned. He was beheaded in about A.D. 62. 
He's a very significant figure in the early church, a leader there. So if that happened, for sure that would be in the history. That wasn't mentioned. Neither the, the, martyr, uh, the martyrs of Peter and Paul in Rome in, about, in the early 60s. So neither of those v- events were mentioned. So we think for sure it was written before that 60, 61 uh, A.D. Why are we in the Gospel of Luke and kind of what are the major themes Again, I think because it was written that we would have a certainty in the truth that is taught. That's one of the main reasons we are in this book. I love one of the major themes of Luke's gospel. It's God's love for lost sinners. Amen? I don't know if you guys were with me on that. <laughs> you, didn't see, you didn't see it coming. Okay, Luke 19.10, it says this, The Son of Man came to seek and to save the lost. I love that's the mission of Christ It's highlighted uh, in a different way kind of in each gospel. In Luke's gospel, he goes to like the outcasts of society. We see it in other gospels too. The the non-Jewish people, God's reaching out to them. The tax collectors, the lepers, the outcasts. Jesus is coming, he's gathering in those people. That's highlighted in Luke's gospel. Also highlighted in Luke's gospel is the work of the Holy Spirit. Work of prayer over and over again. Uh, different women and their roles within the ministry of Jesus. Joy. Joy is a major theme running throughout Luke's gospel. So I hope that we can see it. I just also want you to note this, just as we're getting going. Uh, think about how the other gospels begin. And Luke's gospel begins so very different. So Matthew's gospel begins with a genealogy, which you think anyone, modern day writers, they, like publishers, they're like, that is not the best way to start a work. Inspired by the Lord, wanted to prove that Jesus came from Abraham and David. So that's Matthew's gospel, starts with a genealogy. Mark's gospel starts with the kind of story of John the Baptist, just jumps right into the story. John actually focuses on the deity of Christ. In the beginning was the Word, the Word was with God, the Word was God. I think that's all of their introductions. But then Luke's gospel, he starts with these four verses to talk about why you can trust what he wrote, why it's historically accurate. Very interesting. Luke takes the time to explain what he's doing, why it can be trusted, and why the readers can have confidence in it. I like what MacArthur says here. I'll just read it for you. He says, The four verses that constitute the prologue to Luke's gospel are one long sentence crafted in the polished style of Greek literary classic. The remainder of the gospel was written in the Koinonia Greek used in common everyday speech, as were the other New Testament books. So those first four verses is a different type of Greek entirely than the rest of the book. Such prologues explaining the writer's sources, purpose, and approach were common in the scholarly scholarly writings of the Greco-Roman world. Luke's prologue thus marks his gospel as a serious literary, literary and historical work, commanding the respect of even the most sophisticated, well-educated Gentile readers. It's given in such a way as like, this is true. It's historically accurate. Now read. <laughs> that, that's, that's the introduction, right? So as we go through this, I want us to have greater confidence, certainty in the gospel of Luke, for sure, in the Bible, right, as we open it up. I think as you have greater and greater confidence, you're going to open it up more and more. You're going to read it. You're going to trust the promises that you find there. And so going through this, again, it's like one a sentence Uh, In Greek, we're chopping it up into three points. I want you to look at verses 1 and 2 with me. Of course, it's all about certainty. I want you to see the certainty of the sources found here. 
And just, just think, though, do, do sources matter? Do sources matter? Like, if you got a new watch, would you rather get it from, like, a guy in a back alley or from, like, the jeweler's store? Do, do sources matter? Or if you're, like, you, maybe you're in a college class and, and you, your professor, every time you ask them a question, they pull out their phone and, like, Google or Siri, and they ask the question, or you have a professor who's maybe studied the topic for 20 years or longer. Do, do sources matter? I think they do. I hope you'll be able to see this. There's a certainty of the sources. So verse 1, uh, Luke begins, As much as many have undertaken to compile a narrative of the things that have been accomplished among us. Many have already undertaken it, Luke highlights. As in, um, not everything, I think, survived that was written down. Think about the amazing things that people saw in Jesus Christ. His ministry, his miracles. There were other things that were written. Not all of it survived. I think for sure he's also referring to Matthew and Mark, uh, who are already compiling uh, their gospel accounts as well at this time. So even as many others have undertaken to compile a narrative of the things that have been uh, accomplished among us, again, he's writing in a narrative. He's writing a historical narrative. It's history told in story form. He's saying he's writing about things that have been accomplished, things that have been fulfilled, completed among us. Again, I just want you to point out, I think you can see it, it doesn't smell of a fairy tale. You know, or like uh, long ago in a galaxy far from, it doesn't have that language, right? It's like, no, no, these things that actually happen have been fulfilled among us. Those are the things that we are talking about. James Edwards says this, Luke's gospel is not a testimony of his ideas or even of his faith. It narrates events that have been brought to completion among us, i.e. the concrete and saving acts of God that have been fulfilled in Jesus Christ. And so he has, he's compiling a narrative of things that have been accomplished. Well, where did he pull his facts from? I want you to see this. It's, it's not that he's like, you know, I have a friend who went to this place who knew someone, who talked to someone, type of story. It wasn't knowledge passed on from who knows where. It, it wasn't like a game of telephone where people often use that to critique the Bible. Oh, it's just passed on from one to another. You know that game like where you have a sentence and you pass it on to people and as it goes to the 20th, 30th person, it's like totally different. It wasn't, it wasn't that at all. It wasn't like Luke searched Wikipedia or, or some other, like, uh, sketchy source, if you will. Just think about Wikipedia, right? It's like the majority of people think something, that's what becomes truth. That's not how truth works. Whether no, no one believes it, it doesn't matter. It doesn't change if it's true or not. But look, where did Luke go to in verse 2? Again, we can trust the sources that he had been compiling this narrative. Verse 2, just as those who from the beginning were eyewitnesses and ministers of the word have delivered them to us. That's where he was getting his material from. This is his sources, eyewitnesses. He referred to a person or group with firsthand experience of the event. Those who from the beginning, that beginning talking about from the beginning of Jesus' baptism. Those who have been with Jesus at the start of his ministry. These are first century witnesses. Not only like, not only there's no gap of time, like they were with living, breathing Jesus Christ, eyewitnesses. I just want you to see that. I think that's 
Really interesting. And not only eyewitnesses, but then ministers of the word, which you see in the book of Acts. Like they saw what Jesus did, they saw what he accomplished, and then they took that message to the world and shared it with people. And we know 10 of his 11 apostles were brutally martyred for that message. Again, you wouldn't do that for a lie. But who, who was it? Ministers that saw and thought for sure it was the apostles, as I referenced. They say, even some of the apostles and some of their other writings, they reference having been with Jesus. Second uh, Peter 1.16. I just want to read this for you. Second Peter 1.16. This is, of course, Peter the Apostle. And he mentions this in his epistle, 2 Peter 1.16. For we did not follow cleverly devised myths when we made known to you the power and coming of our Lord Jesus Christ, but we were eyewitnesses of his majesty. It's not a myth, it's not made up. We were eyewitnesses of him. John, in 1 John, this is how he begins his epistle of 1 John. John the Apostle, he says, That which was from the beginning, which we have heard, which we have seen with our eyes, which we looked upon and have touched with our hands, concerning the word of life. The life was made manifest, and we have seen it and testified to it and proclaimed to you the eternal life which was with the Father and was made manifest to us. That which we have seen and heard, we proclaim also to you that you may have fel- you too may have fellowship with us. And indeed, our fellowship is with the Father and with his Son, Jesus Christ. And we are writing these things so that our joy may be complete. They're like, we were with him from the beginning. We saw him. We touched him. These are the eyewitnesses that he's referring to. I think he could also be referring to, uh, there's many who saw the resurrected Jesus Christ. In, in 1 Corinthians 5, 6, the Apostle Paul gives this testimony that Jesus appeared to more than 500 brothers at one time, most of whom are still alive, though some have fallen asleep. The resurrected Jesus appeared to more than 500 other people. He's like, most of them are still alive. Some have fallen asleep. Some have died. But at the writing of Paul's writing in 1 Corinthians, there's still like that many people who saw the resurrected Jesus. So he's going and talking to people who actually were with Jesus. And not only actually were with Jesus from the beginning, but then saw, or were maybe far back when he was crucified and buried, and then they saw the risen Lord Jesus Christ. Those are the eyewitnesses he has that he is using to write the account in his gospel. It's amazing. So how significant is that, that eyewitnesses were the source? I, th- I think it's huge. And what do these eyewitnesses do? They delivered them to us. They delivered them the account, the narrative. They, they handed over, they entrusted, they committed that to him. Whether uh, through word of mouth or whether through written on pages, it was entrusted to Luke. It was delivered to him. And then Luke was in turn entrusting it to, we'll see, a guy, Theophilus. And I think anyone who would read this book. It's been delivered down to us, but a source, again, that we can absolutely trust. There's a certainty of the sources of who it came from. Going on to verse 3, there's a certainty of the account. There's a certainty of the account given. Looking at verse 3, it says, it seemed good to me also, having followed all things closely for some time past, to write an, order, an orderly account. So Paul, or sorry, Paul, Luke, Luke was following it, 
and then he's like, I want to write these things down. It seemed good to me to write these things down. That's interesting. This is Scripture. We have in 2 Timothy 3.16, all Scripture is breathed out by God, is God-breathed, is inspired by Him. Just referencing back there to 2 Peter, talking about prophecy, which would go to Scripture. 2 Peter 1.21, Peter writes this, No prophecy was ever produced by the will of man, but men spoke from God as they were carried along by the Holy Spirit. So I love that. Luke's like, Luke says, it seemed good to me to write this down. And God uses that. God uses shaping Luke's desires, his, uh, his kind of drive, his vocabulary, his experiences. As he's writing down the account of Jesus, it's Scripture. It becomes Scripture. God did it through him. God did this in him and through him. So it's inspired writing that we have here in the Gospel of Luke. It's not just someone's like, yeah, this is kind of what happened. Even though he wanted to do it, God used him in doing it to give us one of the four Gospels. It's inspired writing. It's carefully studied. Right? It seems good to me also having followed all things closely. That's a strict conformity to a standard or norm of careful attention on the details. Like that's what Luke is doing. He followed all things closely. Think about this. Luke was with Paul uh, in his journey in, in the book of Acts. He saw Christianity spread firsthand. We don't know Luke's story, much of him, but we know that he was with Paul. And if you go through the book of Acts, there's a number of statements. At first, it's kind of like third-hand account. This is what's happening to Paul, to Peter, uh, and, and it's just telling the story. But then in verse, or chapter 16 of Acts, it changes to we and to us. And what it is, it's like Luke somehow joined in the mix, and he is with Paul. And so he's seen everything that's happening. He gets to spend all that time with Paul. He sees the gospel go forward. And even we have in, in, in Paul's writings, we know that Luke and Mark were together at times. Like Mark, the one who wrote Mark's gospel. So Luke's like, talking with him with what he has known. And, and Mark actually wrote for Peter the Apostle. We know in the book of Acts that like, uh, Paul was in Jerusalem, got arrested, and then was in Caesarea for over two years. So at that time, for sure, Luke would have been meeting with whatever the apostles who were in Jerusalem. He's, he's taking it in. He's writing it down. He's following everything closely. I, 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 just, I just love it when everyone says, well, yeah, it's like a game of telephone, you're like, oh, I don't think you've ever read what's said, even just the introduction of Luke's gospel. It's not at all like the game of telephone. It's studied, studied very closely. It's very accurate. Because, friends, we have, here we have the doctor's details. I was going to call the series uh, Trust the Doctor, but I'm like, ah, <laughs> no, I, don't, I don't know. Though we do, we do trust a uh, number of doctors, though, for sure. <laughs> That's why I didn't call it that, because uh, I wouldn't be able to, yeah. All right, <laughs> doctor's details. But I want you to see this. He gives an orderly account, or other translations, a consecutive account, an orderly sequence. Uh, he, he is telling a story. He's historically accurate, though sometimes chronologically he moves out of a normal timeline. Like in Luke chapter 3, he tells the story of John the Baptist, but he tells it to the, to the point of him getting arrested. He's like, I'm just telling John's story all together right here. And he got arrested and he's put in prison. The next verse, and then he baptized Jesus. 
You're like, well, chronologically, that, that's not following it, but he's just, sometimes he, he, he doesn't always follow the chronological line time in order to just go with full themes or parts of the story. I don't know if that made sense to you, but just think about how, how detailed he is. How thankful we are for Luke's gospel. He knows what he's writing about, right? Like he's not like a, a kid who's just winging it on an exam. I don't know if any of you ever experienced that, go into a class and, uh, and they're like, hey, there's an exam today. And you're like, what? And then you just try to make it up as you go along or multiple choice. You go by like, if it's like 1 to 15 seconds, A, 2, never mind. I won't, I won't th- give that strategy. But it's not someone who, who's just winging it, who's just making it up, who doesn't know what they're talking about. It's, this is the one, someone who loves details, who's putting it in se- sequential order, who's, who's grabbing historical facts, who met with eyewitnesses. And just think about the details we have. How amazing it is. I love that Luke is a person of details. How fantastic it is when it comes to the Bible, the doctor's details. Think about the, the birth stories we have in Luke's gospel of John the Baptist, of, of Zachariah and Elizabeth. We don't have it in anyone else's gospel. We don't have Luke chapter 2. Like Matthew, he tells a little bit about of Gabriel meeting with Mary, just a little snapshot. But, but in Luke's gospel, he tells about the birth of Christ, of them having to go to Jerusalem, how there was no room for them in the inn, how Jesus was born in a manger, in a feeding trough. We have those details from the doctor. We have all throughout, and I won't pull it all out, we're going to go through the book, but you have the, the thief on the cross, right? As Jesus was crucified, and a thief on either side, right there on, on the cross. Luke's gospel, though, tells us of that conversation where the thief is like, hey, we're justly here. You're an innocent man. And how he, the thief on the cross comes to faith in Christ in that moment, doesn't do anything, puts his faith in Jesus because of the doctor's details we have that we don't have it in another gospel. And of course, we have the whole book of Acts and all the details that are in there. So praise the Lord that God used Luke, someone who's so detail-oriented, uh, to write a gospel, to increase our confidence in the Word of God. Because, friends, it gives us a certainty of what we read. And just there, uh, finishing verse 3, I want you to see as he's writing everything, he says this, he wanted to write an orderly account for you, most excellent Theophilus. Seemingly, Luke's gospel is written to or dedicated to this guy named Theophilus. It's Greek, it means lover of God. Many, many people are like, well, we're not really sure who Theophilus was. Maybe it was just symbolic. One church father, Ambrose, says, if you love God, it was written to you. Like Theophilus means lover of God, so maybe it's just his general statement. It seems more like it actually was a person, because why would you put most excellent Theophilus? And that term most excellent, uh, it implies a, a man of status and honor and probably of wealth. And many people think, and I, and I think this is it too, that he was actually a supporter of Luke. He was a patron, right? Like someone who financially was like, I'm going to support you to gather all the information about Jesus and, and put it into writing. And so maybe he's the one who helped foot the bill uh, to this. So it, the work was dedicated to him in Luke and in Acts. But other than that, we really don't know much about Theophilus. Other than that, as it's even written to him, I believe it's written to all of us. It's the Word of God. 
But I, I hope you can keep seeing, even though I, I'll keep saying it, there's a certainty of the sources. Think of the eyewitnesses. There's a certainty of the account given. It's an inspired writing. It's carefully studied. It's detail-oriented. We can trust what we have in front of us. And, and my last point I want to finish with, there's a certainty of the gospel. Right? I hope each one's building on one another. If certainty of the sources that so you can trust it, so there's a certainty of the account given, so your, your confidence keeps growing, so there's a certainty of the gospel. Verse 4, that, the reason he wrote it, that you may have certainty concerning the things you have been taught. You may know exactly, you may know completely. I love how the New American Standard Version puts it, that you may know the exact truth about the things that you have been taught. This, this is true. Luke's gospel is true. The word of God is true. And even kind of like what has inspired this, uh, this graphic up here. I wonder if we can just go to, uh, okay, that's fine. I'll just go with that one. This rock and the waves crashing about it. And kind of the inspiration comes from Matthew's gospel, which I don't know if you can do that. We're actually in Luke's gospel. But in Matthew's gospel, Jesus preaches the Sermon on the Mount. Matthew 5, 6, and 7. This amazing sermon. And he finishes with it. The sermon with Matthew seven twenty four, Everyone then who hears these words of mine does them and does them will be like a wise man who built his house on the rock. And the rain fell and the floods came and the winds blew and beat on the house, but it did not fall because it had been founded on the rock. So I love this picture of the rock being God, being Jesus Christ, being the word of God. So even in the graphic uh, that we have, it's always the gospel according to Luke. It's sitting on the rock. And the waves are crashing about that the rock, if we could actually see it, the rock's not going anywhere, right? It's certain. It's immovable. Trustworthy. God, his word. And even as I pictured, it's just thinking about the waves crashing about it. I was trying to get too detail-oriented. <laughs> Appreciate Josh, what he made, I, I love it. But I was thinking like the waves crashing. It's like in our day and age of like this is true and this is immovable and you got like fake news coming against the side. You got misinformation, right? You got trust the experts. You have even maybe things that are true, but maybe we want to like, are they true conspiracy theory? You just throw that into a conversation and end it. It's like a hand grenade to end all conversations. Or, or, or how about the be all end all like, Oh, that's true for you. You're like, no, no, we're talking about something that's immovable. If it's true, it's true for everyone. It's an authoritative truth. That's what I picture as I picture this rock. The gospel. Jesus Christ. David Garland says this, I love it. The purpose of the gospel is not to give information, but certainty that will change lives. Certainty that will change lives. Like You need to have that last part. Because you can be like, yes, yes, I know this to be true. It's so certain. Like, is, is Jesus changing your life? Is he gripping your heart? Oh, friends, may our confidence in the word and in God continue to increase. I just pray that, that we'll have certainty of what we read, not only in Luke's gospel, but in the word of God, that it'll keep increasing, continue to increase in trust and faith. 
So friends, I just want to think, what can we have certainty in? Even as we just think through fly by Luke's gospel, we can have certainty in. As we read through Luke's account, those are just four verses introducing it. We can have certainty in the birth of Jesus Christ. Right? As we go through this season, there's, there's no certainty in Santa Claus. And everything else that comes with it, that wants to cover up the meaning we want to celebrate at this time of the year, that Jesus came born of a virgin. God in the flesh came to earth. We can trust that story. It's not just a story, a little fairy tale, but it's history. Again, all time is measured by his birth. We can have certainty in the birth of Christ. All throughout the gospel account, we can have certainty in the death, burial, and resurrection of Christ. Think about this. This is an event that occurred that has eternal ramifications. In Luke's gospel, the last week of Jesus' life leading to the cross and his resurrection is like 25% of his gospel. Like that's, that's like everything, okay, the birth, everything is, is moving towards the cross. But everything that we read written about the cross and what happened there, how Jesus, totally innocent, never sinned, nailed to a cross for my sins and for yours, we trust that story. We can have certainty in it. We can have certainty that just as the, the one thief believed in Jesus says, today you'll be with me in paradise. Whoever would believe and trust in him, we are forgiven by God. We have eternal life. Help for today and hope for tomorrow. There's certainty in it. We can have certainty in the gospel according to Luke. Is in gospel meaning good news. Right? Good news meaning there's bad news. Bad news meaning that all of us have sinned and fall short of God's holy and perfect standard. We deserve God's punishment, his, his wrath. We are rebellious sinners. Just in closing, I just, uh, just want to reference to Luke chapter 15. Luke chapter 15, Luke gives us three parables that Jesus shared. And, and two of them are very similar. He talks about how would a shepherd not, if he had 99 sheep and he lost one, wouldn't he leave the 91 and seek out that lost sheep? And then he would get it, put it on his shoulders, and carry it home. And Jesus says, in the same way, there's more rejoicing over one sinner who repents than over 99 righteous who don't have to. Jesus came to seek and save the lost. That's what he does. So we can have certainty not only in the gospel message, but that Jesus, if you're like, I don't know him, he's seeking for you. He wants you to turn to him, to believe in him. And we are saved by turning from our sins, trusting in God, believing in Jesus Christ. That's how the lost is found. If you're hearing this today, if that's you, will you believe? Will you trust in him? You can have certainty that he will forgive you. Confess your sins and believe in him. There's a third parable there in Luke 15. I just want to kind of mention it as I'm closing. Well known, the prodigal son. He has it all. Gets an early inheritance, right? Leaves. Runs after everything else. Just squanders it. Partying. Living it up. And then when he's like bankrupt and has nothing else, broken, he decides to turn back to the father. And we, don't you love what happens in that parable? As he's coming, kind of like head down, the father looks off in the distance, sees him, and runs to him. 
and with open arms draws them back in. I love it. And forgives him. And just, just the question, is that you? There are some here hearing this today who are like, you're, you've been running from God. Will you quit running and turn back to God? Receive his mercy. You can have certainty that he'll accept you back. Friends, in this book, we have rock solid certainty. In the message from the messenger Luke and Jesus Christ, certainty to build our lives on. May our confidence in this scripture and God continue to grow as we work through this book. I pray. If you'll, just, you'll bow with me as I close this word in prayer. Oh God, what an excitement to open up this gospel and to start to just read it. I pray this message this morning, Lord, has given us greater confidence in your word, greater confidence in you, and I pray uh, by your spirit, Lord, that you would, you would use it, Lord. You'd apply it to our hearts. Lord, I pray that this, this word would continue to be our rock, our, our filter in which we put other truth statements through. Oh, Lord, that we wouldn't have to run to and fro looking for what is true, but we know we have truth here in your word, truth from you. And oh Lord, may your truth transform us to be more like Jesus. So seal this word in our hearts, I pray in Jesus' name. Amen.